Majestic Mount Rainier slowly sharpened into view alongside Western Airlines Flight 701, its cratered peak coated with snow and ice that glistened in the strong June sun. Curious passengers craned their necks left to catch a glimpse of the dormant volcano, while the flight's more nonchalant travelers kept their noses buried in newspapers, reading up on President Richard Nixon's trip to Moscow and the carpet bombing of Hue. Stewardesses clad in peach-hued mini-dresses roamed the narrow aisle, clearing empty plates and champagne flutes in preparation for landing. They would be on the ground in Seattle in twenty-five minutes. Once they finished cleaning up, the three stewardesses assigned to coach class packed into the aft galley, where a few leftover meals awaited. The women had been working non-stop since 7 a.m., flying down to Los Angeles before returning to Seattle, so they were plenty famished as Flight 701 neared its end. To preserve the illusion that its stewardesses were paragons of female daintiness, Western forbade its shapely girls to let passengers see them eat. The women made sure to shut the galley's red curtain before tearing into their lunches. Safe from prying eyes, they shoveled forkfuls of sirloin steak and steamed broccoli into their brightly lipsticked mouths, taking care to avoid dripping gravy on their polka-dot scarves. Gina Cutcher stood closest to the galley's curtain, her back to the cabin as she ate and gabbed with her two colleagues, Carol Clymer and Marla Smith. Midway through their hurried meal, Cutcher was startled to hear the tick-tick-tick of sliding curtain rings. She turned and found herself toe-to-toe with the passenger from seat 18D, the handsome black man in the crisply pressed army dress uniform bedecked with ribbons. He peered down at her through wire-rimmed glasses fitted with amber lenses. Oh, no, she thought. The voucher. I forgot about his voucher. Earlier in the flight, as Cutcher had been serving this man a drink, a bump of turbulence had caused her to spill some bourbon on the lapels of his olive-green jacket. He had been a real sport about the accident, just laughing it off. Don't worry about it at all, he had told her. No damage done. But in keeping with Western's customer service policy, Cutcher had insisted on bringing him a dry cleaning voucher. Now she realized that she had never made good on that promise. An apology was on the tip of her tongue when the man spoke up. I need to show you something, he said politely, placing two sheets of three-by-five notepaper on the galley's countertop. Read these. The puzzled Cutcher began to read as Smith and Clymer peered over her shoulder. The first sheet contained a neatly handwritten message, marred by numerous capitalization and spelling quirks, but there was no mistaking its meaning. Success through death. Everyone except the captain will leave the cabin. There are four of us and two bombs. Do as you're told and no shooting will take place. 1. Your co-pilot and navigator are to leave the cabin four paces apart. Take seats to the rear of the aircraft. 2. Place aircraft on autopilot. Place your hands on top of your head. Leave the cabin door open. Weatherman SDS of California. You have two minutes, sir. The other sheet was filled with a diagram of what appeared to be a briefcase. Several rectangles of varying size, each labeled with a number from one to four, were sketched inside the drawing. A column of text to the left of the diagram explained the briefcase's contents. Four men, three guns, and two bombs. 1. Plastic Explosive C-4, U.S. Army Explosives. 2. Clock. 3. Batteries. 4. 
One concussion grenade, one second delays after pin is pulled. Keep smiling. Over. Kutcher turned the note over. There was just one more sentence. To the captain, and don't stop. The man raised his left hand so the stewardesses could see that he was holding a black Samsonite briefcase. A thin piece of copper wire snaked from its top, right by the handle. It was connected to a metal ring draped around the man's left index finger. He made a show of rhythmically tapping the briefcase with his right hand, as if to say, in here. The man elbowed his way past Kutcher and stepped into the galley. He leaned against the countertop, pushed his glasses up to the bridge of his nose, and locked eyes with Kutcher. Every trace of kindness was now gone from his gaze. You have two.